The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? We are speaking with Barry Schwartz. He is the author of The Paradox of Choice, Why More is Less. And he happens to be a professor of social theory and social action at Swarthmore College, and he has um, been there since, boy, 1971, and he's written 10 books and more than 100 articles, and we have a lot more about him on our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, and thank you for doing that wonderful speech this morning at the IAPP conference, and... You sure taught me a lot about choice. Wow. So why don't we talk about that? And what is the assumption about choice? Well, the assumption that we've made, certainly in the U.S. and most of the developed world, I would say, is that since we know that choice is good, and it really is good, uh, it's, I mean, it's good both because people can get what they want and because it enables you to live a fully human life, to make decisions about how you're going to live your life. Because choice is good, more choice must be better. Right. We've just assumed that, and there was no reason not to assume it 20 or 30 years ago when the amount of choice that people faced was relatively limited. But we, in the last generation, choice has exploded in every corner of everybody's life, and we're discovering that you reach a point where more isn't better where more actually is worse. And that's what my book's about, and that was what my talk was about. Right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the how the uh, assumptions are, you know, cause more aggravation in our life, that really this is really something that is gets hurtful to us after there's too much choice. So what happens when there's too much choice, and, and in case your listeners wonder what the magic number is, yeah. how much is too much, nobody knows the answer. Um, uh, all we do know, reasonably certainly, is that you can have too much, but it may be eight things in one area of life, 20 in another area. There's no magic number. What happens when people face too much choice? Three things happen. One is that instead of being liberated, they get paralyzed. They can't pull the trigger. They can't decide which pair of jeans to buy, which salad dressing to buy, what car to buy, what 401k to put their retirement money in. They do nothing. And I told you that that's what I'm going through now. What, what new health insurance should I get? I don't know what to do because it is just too confusing, too many choices. Yeah. It's actually extremely interesting because when Medicare, um, the Medicare uh, Part D 
drug plan was introduced several years ago, a gift to senior citizens worth several thousand dollars. You would think that they'd be clamoring to sign up, but they let um, companies come up with plans. And every state had 30, 40, 50, 75 plans. And they couldn't get senior citizens to sign up. They basically had to bully people into getting taking a gift from the government because everyone figured there has to be a right plan for me, but they couldn't figure out for the life of them what that plan was. So they didn't so they didn't sign up. So what you're going through now choosing health insurance is what every over 65 person has been going through. And every year you have to do it all over again yes. with this Part D prescription drug plan because the, the, the plans change, the formularies change. It's a nightmare that revisited annually. So that's problem one, paralysis. The second problem is that people are more likely to make bad decisions. And the reason is that Decisions are often complicated. There are many different dimensions to them. If you add to the many different dimensions 10, 20, 50 different alternatives, imagine your Excel spreadsheet, you know, a 50 by 10 spreadsheet. <laughs> Who's going to do that? Yeah. It's just too much work. And so what happens is that people simplify the decision. They choose on the basis of what's easy to evaluate. And they hope that what's easy to evaluate will get them to the right place. So in the, in the world of goods, you basically buy on the basis of brand and price. You don't look at the quality of this CD player or do people have CD players anymore? This <laughs> no. MP3, MP3 player, player right, right. <laughs> or that one. You know, you just you buy a Sony mm -hmm. and you buy a, the second cheapest Sony. Or mm -hmm. you, if you're a hi-fi nut, you buy the second most expensive Sony. And you don't look at the specs because there are 40 different MP3 players and there are a lot of specs and, you know, life has to go on. So you simplify the decision, which almost certainly will mean that you make worse decisions. Um, the third thing, which is what my own work has focused on, is that even when people manage to overcome paralysis and choose, and they choose well, they end up less satisfied because they spend their time with this MP3 player thinking about all that they passed up on that one and that one and that one and that one. Could have and would have and should have. Exactly. So you have buyer's remorse. Uh, uh, in spades, and the bigger the choice set is, the easier it is for you to imagine that one of the other alternatives would have been better. Or you get it, and then two days later, they come out with a brand new one that probably is a better one, and then you say, oh my gosh, I, I just bought this. What am I going to do? I can't, unless no, no, you no, go no. to Costco, you can't really return it. Well, yeah. that's a different problem. <laughs> that, that's a unique problem to technology, right. because you yeah. know whenever you buy something, right. that it's just a question of days or weeks before a better version right. of that is available almost certainly for less money. Right. So, but Barry, I think we're going to see more and more companies, which we're already seeing on the internet, that are that are doing the comparisons for you. Like, I go on the internet sometimes and I'll say, compare whatever it is. Like, I, I know my I, my IT guy tells me, all right, Mari, go and compare the, the different cell phones. You were talking about cell phones and how crazy that is. But which we, I had five cell phones last month because I tried one and I didn't like it. I tried another, I didn't like it, and I tried another one. But um, we're seeing companies that are actually doing the comparisons for you. Like I see things on ID theft services that they'll do the comparison for you and say, all right, this one has five stars, this one has four stars, and they do actually categorize by what they do. So maybe that's where we're going. If we're going to have these choices, we're going to come up with companies that will actually do the comparisons for you and if it's it's almost like uh, consumer reports which i buy 
Consumer Reports will do comparisons, and I, when I don't know what to buy, I look at Consumer Reports. It's a trusted nonprofit that supposedly doesn't take money from any of these companies. But Consumer Reports is actually a great example, and I, I spoke at Consumer Reports years ago, not long after my book came out. If you look at an article of Consumer Reports, when Consumer Reports started, there was a lot of real crap on the market. And so their mission was to protect people from protect consumer. Mm-hmm. junk. Right. Those days are gone. Right. Nowadays, if you look at their articles about pretty much anything, almost all of the ob- items are fine. Yes. And so what ends up is you have a list of, I don't know, 35 washing machines. Right. And they tell you, don't buy these two. And now you have 33 to choose right. from. And but they, they have a categorize, and they do have the little red well, and the little black. They but do, it's, it's, but then you have to decide what sure. matters to you. Is cycle length matter to right. you? Does how efficient it is matter to you? Right. Does how much water it uses matter to you? Does how noisy it right. is matter to you? What matters to you? Right. And I don't think people want to make a life work out of choosing a washing machine. What I When I spoke to Consumer Reports, <laughs> what I told them was, listen, you think you're doing people a favor. You're not doing them a favor anymore. <laughs> you're introducing dimensions to a decision that most people don't even think about. And you're telling them you should think about it, and they don't want to think about it. <laughs> so what you want to do is tell them these are the three that, that, we, have the best. that we recommend. Right. And if they want to look at that gigantic table, it's there. But the table should be the sidebar, and the main point of the article should be the two or three that they think are Actually, the Actually, they are doing that now. They are starting to do They are to starting do to do it. So they I, listen to you. Yes, they listen to Barry. I myself on the back, although I don't think I had anything to do with that. You probably did, but Barry. But they are now starting to do it. They are. So they, a, they, these are like these three were the top right, that but we still, like the best. But that's the sidebar. It's still the case that the main article is the t- table, and in the sidebar is their recommendations. Yeah. But it but does help. I mean, it, it really does. Because I, I get the magazine. I get it every month. So I look and say, oh, here's what they like the best. And, and, I, and well, sometimes look, I don't, I don't agree. I don't the spreadsheet. Yeah. And I don't always agree with them, by the way. Well, I mean, they have some, funny criteria, you know. Yeah. They seem to care a lot, for example, in cars about where the various... Uh, controls are located yeah. on the dashboard. You know, it's oh, that, that, we got a new car, and we actually thought that we were doing the wind, uh, the windshield wipers, <laughs> and, it's, and it was the cruise control. And for right, and it drove us crazy for the first well, couple sometimes weeks. Sometimes it matters, and it could even be dangerous. Yes, if you put yeah. things in the. We too finally close know to where other. it is, and it doesn't bother us anymore. But <laughs> you know, the other thing that I was thinking of when you were talking was about how when you go on Expedia.com, you can you can categorize by price. Mm-hmm by duration of flight, yep. and and they have these different categories. So I, I'm starting to think that because of what you're teaching us about choices too much, that we're gonna that would be a good answer, is that help be. us make a choice by letting us choose which of the categories we is most important to me. For me, that's, duration that's, would be the most yep. important. I don't care what it costs. I think that's right, and I think that having created the problem, the digital world is now solving it yes. by giving us these ratings and, and easy comparisons. The critical thing is that the source of these comparisons need to be needs to be trustworthy. You need yes. to be... Oh. The thing about Consumer Reports, as you pointed out, is that they, they don't take a, a, accept anything right. free from anybody. They right. buy all the cars they test. Right. And so it's a badge of honor that they are beholden to no one. 
And that's so, their that's their value added. That's their value added. Now, can you trust these websites? Can you that's, trust Google, for example? You know, I think Google. No, Google gets is a, paid. It's a. I think Google is a gift to the world. Yes. I, uh, but it also its business model yes. is one where unless it absolutely maintains a line between its revenue source, which is advertising, and its information provision to customers, it will, like that, yes. lose all of its credibility. And right. I'm sure it is fully aware of that, and I think sometimes it has actually allowed the line to blur mm-hmm. between what they're getting paid for and what they're not. But the only reason Google is good is that we trust it. Right. And that it is, you know, it is hard to win trust and you lose it in a heartbeat, Yes, and, and then, then you it takes a long time to gain it back. Right. So, you know, Expedia is trying to sell you something. Right. Um, but but they've got all these, I don't think that they, I don't know if they get paid by the companies. They basically tell you what the price is and how long it is. I mean, uh, that's stuff that I can rely on, not that I buy from Expedia, because I usually go right to the co- company, but but at least you know, I yeah. can search then what are the no, best no, times absolutely. for me, and I it helps Expedia. me. Um, only when I'm traveling to places that U.S. Air doesn't go to, since U.S. Air is roughly 80% of the flights in Philadelphia. Oh. There's really not much point in looking around. Right, right, right. But see, um, for me, I could go to L.A. or I can yeah, go to yeah, Orange yeah. County. and I and But I, I do use it whenever I'm going someplace that U.S. Air doesn't fly, and I find it extremely, extremely helpful, and I do trust it. Right. And I, so like I think you, that's think the thing. Time is what matters, not money. Yeah, when you're trying to get home or trying yep. to get a, get somewhere. Yep. Um, but you know, I was going. But for example, that that one site that. Uh, does a comparison of the different identity theft services. And that's on my mind because we just came out with a press release yesterday about best practices for identity theft services. The Consumer Federation of America just put together a industry and consumer advocate um, and negotiated, collaborated best practices because people who are worried about identity theft, there's millions of different services and we were trying to give the questions to ask and what to look for to help people with that choice Mm -hmm. to help people with that choice but um this this website i was talking about seemed to me to be doing the choices by who's paying them Mm -hmm. and i don't think people know that and it's a deceptive practice really no question about it and uh, you assume that it won't take very long for this to come out in which case, that will be the end of the website. However, if you think about that freecreditreport.com that gets advertised, that's not free. It's not free. And they were fined by the Federal Trade Commission, but they still have freecreditreport.com, and it's not a free credit report. You have to go to annualcreditreport.com. So in this information age in the web, my concern is... You know, the fact that we don't know who's really telling us the truth, if they are giving us choices, or this gets back to that whole choice of opt-in and opt-out. But I guess before we go there, I wanted to ask you um, some of the consequences of of, uh, excessive choice that you talked about, you know, in your session about the decisions you make. um, You know, it makes you question your decisions. But also, what about expectations? So... So um, I didn't mention this in my talk, but my book begins with this story when I went to buy jeans, which I wear virtually every day. And I asked them for a pair of jeans in my size, and the clerk said, do you want slim fit, easy fit, relaxed fit, button fly, zipper fly, stone washed, acid, on and on and on. And I said, I want the kind that used to be the only kind. But 
A, the clerk was about 12 years old and had no idea what that was, and B, of course, they didn't make that kind anymore. So I spent an hour trying on jeans, and I got the best-fitting jeans I had ever bought. I did well, and I felt worse than I ever had before. And not because I spent an hour, um, although that was a little annoying. It was yes. mainly because what happened is that when jeans only came in a couple of styles, I didn't expect them to fit me especially well. Why would... I'd be lucky enough to have jeans that fit perfectly, right? But when they come in a hundred styles or a thousand, well, one of them should be perfect. So my expectations about how good the best jeans would be went through the roof, and I got good jeans, but they weren't as good as my expectations. So I ended up doing better, but feeling like I had failed. When my expectations were lower, I did okay, but all okay was all I was hoping for. <laughs> So I think that, that when you give people lots of options, it is reasonable for them to think that one of them will be perfect. And I think part of the, part of the problem is that when it comes to clothing, I think the stakes have gone up in the following sense. When all there were were Levi's and Lee's, yes. the jeans you bought didn't say anything to the world about who you were. Right. Because people are highly varied, and there are only two kinds of jeans. You right. know, it's Coke and Pepsi. What you drink doesn't say. But when there are 200 kinds, kinds of jeans, well, all of a sudden, what's on your behind is a statement to the world about who you are. Because so it's, it's got the name on it. Well, even if it didn't have the name on it, it's a much more, it becomes a much more important decision because your identity is wrapped up in it in a way that wouldn't be true if there weren't as many options to choose. And people, young people, when I talk, they, they're really arrogant. They think that it's my generation's problem, but they are perfectly able to cope with it since they've, been, they've yeah. grown up with it, and they are not able to cope with it. They're miserable. They can't figure out what careers to pursue. Exactly. They can't, um, you know, you can't, I don't, I don't even ask graduating seniors, so what are you going to do when you graduate? Because it creates this existential crisis. Yes. You know, they don't know what they're going to do, and they don't know how they're going to figure out what they're going to do. Right. Um, and I know my daughter took the LSAT, you know, the law school admissions test, and she was working for me. And then she said, gee, you know, so many of my friends that went to law school can't get a job. I don't know what I'm going to do. So she's paralyzed. She took the LSAT. She did well. But right now she isn't knowing whether yeah. she wants to and go. And a lot of our students go to law school. They, they get past taking the LSATs. They actually go to law school. Right. But when they say, I'm going to law school, they immediately say, but I'm not going to be a lawyer. Right. So I say to them, so then why are you going to law school? And they say to me, well, whatever I end up doing, a law degree will help. And I'm thinking, well, they're about to incur $150,000 in, in debt. That's what they're my daughter said. They're going to hate every minute of it. Why the hell are they doing it? And finally, I figured it out. It's because a way to put off the decision a, like you talked oh, about. But it's not only a way to put off the decision. It's also mm -hmm. a way to get their parents off their back because it looks like they're, they're actually doing making progress toward a career. <laughs> so it's, But it's a very expensive way to get your parents exactly. off your back. Well, my daughter said, because I paid for undergrad for her, she said, well, the reason I'm thinking I don't want to do it is because I don't want $100,000 yeah. in debt for, for student loans if I'm not going to do this. And That's I right. said, well, you know what? You can change your mind many times. Don't worry about it. You have lots of choices. Of course... I didn't know that that was the wrong thing to say that until I heard you. Now, you know, now I have to read your book and go, oh, my God. Well, let's talk about how it relates to privacy, because you were our keynote speaker this morning. Mm -hmm. You did a great job to 1,500 people. Well, so let's good. talk about what it means to privacy in terms of choice when we're looking on the Internet or any kind of company we're dealing with. So I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly no privacy expert but I think there are two there are two issues. One issue is 
that giving up privacy is a way out of the choice problem in that if you let um, these websites track you, they will end up reducing the choice set for you because they will get to know you so well that they won't present a thousand options, they'll present five and they'll be the right five. So there's an enormous benefit to people to give up privacy, although I suspect mostly people don't realize how much they're giving up and what the risks are. Um, so that's one respect in which I, um, you're not going to get people ever to be willing to take their privacy seriously enough to sacrifice the convenience that comes with letting themselves be um, uh, I personally identified. Unless they have inside information and enough information to say it's not worth it. It's possible, but even yeah. then, you know, the, the thing is people tend to think that very low probability events are like zero. Yeah. So, you know, I guess if they thought it was a low probability versus a high probability. If they, if they thought that it was a high chance that there would be disastrous consequences to having their privacy compromised, that might that might change right. their behavior. Right. But if it's, you know, I know somebody who, yeah, right. who got, you know, they got a social security number and blah, 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 yeah. you know, then, well, that's just a fluke. And meanwhile, when I go to Amazon, they, they give me the five books I actually care about. And that makes my life. Right. But that's awesome. a trusted company. So if I go to Amazon and I look up privacy and your book comes up, I'm thrilled because it saved me from looking at a million books like you were talking about. So that's a, it is a I have company, but people and I have a trusted of, relationship with them. But people, I certainly am not aware of how this sort of tracking of individual consumer clicks can transfer from one site to another. So I don't know that Amazon's information about me is uh, securely inside Amazon. And even if it is, I'm not sure that that's true in general, right. that you can't have these uh, cookies following you around from site to site. In fact, somebody was telling me about having looked for shoes, mm -hmm. uh, didn't buy anything on the web, and then was looking for something completely different. And on the right-hand side of the screen are all these shoe ads. Right. And That's the first, target marketing, right, yeah. At first, it didn't, she didn't give it a thought, and then she realized, damn it. Right. They know that I was looking. Yeah, it's a little bit eerie, I think. It's more than a little yeah, bit eerie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's possible that I'm wrong, and and when enough of these sorts of things happen, people will sacrifice convenience right. to protect and, privacy. It's possible. I'm, I'm not optimistic. Well, see, the thing that I'm worried about, you know, and this is something that you deal with when you teach your students, is, you know, you're... Are people educated? Now, you work with educated people all the time. You're educating at Swarthmore. Mm -hmm. So what I'm concerned about is that people don't know what they're doing. So you were talking about if you give opt-out, meaning you have the default is that whatever it is, the right uh, item to choose, if it's default opt-out, um, you're, you're guessing or hoping that that's the best thing for them. But maybe it's not the right. best thing. So for them. I think uh, so. Th this was the second point that I was that I that I where I think it relates to privacy. Given that people are going to be paralyzed by choices, you can try to organize the environment so that when people act paralyzed, that is to say, they do nothing, they get what's in their best interest, or what they what you have independent reason to think they want. Now, in the case of something like organ donation, 
which is a right. classic example, we have we know what people want. People approve of organ donation, yet they don't sign up. So it's not so hard to organize the the uh, driver's license renewal form so that you're an organ donor unless you choose not to be. Right. And we can be confident that virtually everyone who, quote, accidentally is an organ donor would have chosen that because we know what people's attitudes are. Right. In other areas of life, we don't know what people's attitudes are, and it becomes much more difficult to figure out what the default should be. But the uh, um, how about the, the default being privacy? In other words, the default being don't sell my information. If if you're on the website, you know how all the time yeah, they go the privacy but things. But then what? do you have people? Do you have people agree to having their information sold each and every time on each and every website, or is it a blanket agreement? Mm-hmm. And if it's a blanket agreement, do they appreciate the extent to which this agreement, where this agreement will follow them from? Site well, to if site you look, if you look at the 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 definition of privacy, and I don't know how you define it. But in the privacy field, we we define it as the right to control information about you. Mm -hmm. So if you make the default, for example, opting in, if that's the default that you have to opt in to have your information sold, then you have more choice than the opt out. You don't have more choice. You may just be more likely to end up with what you really want. You have the same amount of choice either way. I mean, I think a critical insight that is hard for people to get their minds around is that there's no neutral. Any, no matter how you arrange options for people, you're pushing them in one direction or another because of the way people make decisions. Because it's psychologically, because if it's, it's, if it's yeah, they're just you know, not going to take any action. They're going to do what the default is, not all the time, but much of the time. So there's no neutral. And then the question is, what should the default be? And on what grounds do you decide? Do you decide on legal grounds? Do you decide because you know what people's preferences are? Do you decide because one default will improve will be good for society and another one will be bad for society. Mm-hmm. These are difficult issues and worth public discussion. You can't always choose a default because you know it's what people want. Right. You know, people but if, the, if the default is privacy, then maybe you can educate them. Like I think one of the things you talked about, Barry, is that people will be paralyzed. They won't do anything. But then what if they are forced to make a decision? Well, that's what if what if you can't get to the next screen unless you make a decision. That's what some people argue that you should, if you want to maximize freedom of choice and eliminate paternalism, the thing to do is to make it so that there is never a default. You have to make an active choice, Uh, and that, of course, is paternalistic in its own way because what you're doing is you're not giving people permission not to choose. But you're. But I guess you're. It reminded me of my niece who has these. 12 and a 13 year old son and when they come to my house and she'll have breakfast she goes do you want to have orange juice or do you want to have milk do you want to have strawberries or do you want to have this and and, and then they go I don't know they have yeah. such a trouble I go please just put the food on the table and and oh no I have to ask them and I thought oh my gosh it takes forever to yep. do this but at least their kids are learning to to make intelligent decisions they have to really think about it so if we really want to have an educated and maybe an inspired society, maybe they should learn to make decisions. And if if we give them enough information to make those, like an informed decision. Well, look, I certainly think that you can't eliminate decisions from people's lives. Um, 
So people do need to know how to make uh, good choices. Good choices. Uh, and here's an interesting thing. There's no research on how children learn to choose. None. Mm. It hasn't occurred to anyone that this is a problem. So you need to do that. That's well, somebody, your next <laughs> Somebody needs to do it. So I agree with you that a lot of time and attention needs to go into thinking about how we create people who are capable of making reasonably good decisions. And I don't um, think I think if we always have the default on the internet where everybody is, we're going to end up where they can't make decisions for themselves. Well, you know, I th- I think you need to be judicious in your use of defaults. You need to trust whoever it is is deciding what the default right. is and make sure that they're doing it for the right reasons. Instead of altruistic not, reasons, you, you, we want you to buy the most expensive exactly. car. So you don't, you know, you need to have trust. And I think that maybe there will be a time in, in a world where people are on top of this stuff enough so that you can simply let them make the decisions and be confident that they will know what they're doing. But this is a major educational project. This is not something no, that, I know. that you can educate people with a single screen on a website. No, but I think a really good company would be more like more of these consumer reports for every kind of um, thing that we would buy or any kind of school we'd go into is where they rate it. You know, they rate it according to what whatever categories. And the, there are 20 different rating agencies yes. and you have to decide which, <laughs> which rater rating? to choose. <laughs> You're right. Well, you are wonderful. And Lloyd says that we are just about out of time. You are just incredibly interesting. I can't wait to read your book. And you have 10 books. So we're going to send read them every- all. Read them all. <laughs> so would you like to give your website as well? No, that's okay. They can find me if they go to the Swarthmore College website, which is www.swarthmore.edu. Yeah, we're speaking with Barry Schwartz, who is a wonderful keynote speaker today. And he talked about his book and basically the essence of his book, The Paradox of Choice, Why More is Less. And I sure learned a lot. It was really inspiring to me enlightening too well thank you stay private the opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI its management or the UC Board of Regents